0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Talk and Chop. Uh, this is the official podcast of the FSVU and Florida Flambeau's sports section. Uh, I am Logan Grushfield. I'm the senior sports writer on the staff. And today I'm joined by my boss, Thomas Martinez. Uh, so, you know, this had better be a good episode or uh, uh, try not to fire me if it goes too bad.
1: How's it going, Logan? It's a pleasure to be on for the first time this semester.
0: I know, Thomas, you were a, you were a frequent guest um, back when uh, Gary was the host, correct?
1: I definitely went on a few times, yes.
0: All right. So it's, it's good to have you back. You know, you're a friend of the pod, longtime listener, uh, called in a few times. So um, I, I think we got to get straight into it. I mean, yesterday was uh, pretty much a Black Wednesday for FSU football. They lost uh, quarterback James Blackman. Wide receiver Tamari and Terry, defensive lineman uh Martin, Marvin Wilson, and offensive lineman Devontae Love-Taylor all out for the season. Uh, Wilson and Love-Taylor were injured, but of those four, the only one that appears to be returning for 2021 would be Devontae Love-Taylor um, on the offensive line, as uh, Wilson and Terry would certainly be looking to go into the draft, and uh, Blackman, I think, he said he wants to focus on his academics. What I think that means, if we're going to try to read between the lines, would be that he wants to set up a grad transfer. Um, and so first, Thomas, I just want to get your your thoughts here. Um, I mean, obviously, I think injuries, but especially with Tamari and Terry, I know you had a lot to say on Twitter. Um, he said he's been hurt a little bit. But, I mean, do you think there's any – you know, sense that there's something missing with the team and he's just kind of ready to pull the plug? Or What kind of – what did you get from him and and what he had to say on Twitter yesterday?
1: I mean, it's been uncertainty for him throughout the entire FSU career. I mean, he's gone (laughs) through multiple head coaches, you know, a bunch of broken promises, I guess, of, you know, this is a year that the team is going to do well. Well, they're 2-5 and this season. It just seems like this is just part of, you know, the last – What's that term? It's part of the, I'm just going to, this is part of the last, yeah, I'm just going to, okay. This is part of the last nail in the coffin for FSU football. Tomorian Terry. he had a minor knee injury earlier on in the season. It seems like now, you know, he's taking the time to focus on his NFL career. Um, I know that his grandmother died on the day of FSU season opener against Georgia tech. So you couple that with the injury and a coronavirus season, and, you know, it's not a good recipe. I think that out of the whole news that we got yesterday, the fact that Devontae Love-Taylor is the player who's who may be coming back for Florida State, I think that's definitely good news. I think he's probably the best or at least the most impactful player this season he has been for the Knowles. I know Marvin Wilson came into the season, you know, with that first-round draft stock with Devontae Love-Taylor on an offensive line that you really saw Chubba Purdy running for his life after Love-Taylor left the game against Pittsburgh, I think that's the silver lining from yesterday's news. But again, you're losing your best offensive playmaker, you're losing who was supposed to be your best defensive player, and you're losing a guy who started games for you over the last four seasons. It just seems like it's part of a bigger transition for this football program.
0: Absolutely. And I know it seemed like Love Taylor was really one of the few guys up front in that offense that had enough experience to kind of lead that line. You know, for all the criticism that they get, this is also a younger group. You know, this isn't like, um, you know, what was it 2018 when it was like, you know, we had guys up front that just couldn't hack it anymore. Um, You know, this is definitely a a, a much younger group, I think, than we've seen in the past um, up front. And losing him, I think, is definitely a um, is definitely one of the biggest losses. And I mean, what's already um, I mean, would you go so far as to call this a lost season or I mean, do you see much of a path forward at all? I
1: don't think it's a lost season in the sense that the majority of the players who are getting significant snaps now are freshmen and sophomores. From the standpoint of Florida State football history, it is a lost season. You know, you can make an argument that this is the least talented Florida State football team in the last 40 years. Um, I I don't know if this team would beat the 2018 team, to be honest. Um, But I don't think it's a lost season because I think there are some bright spots throughout everything that you've seen throughout the multiple, you know, 20-plus point losses the fact that they're playing so many young players, I think is something that's definitely something good as a fan to look at. And honestly, the fact that, you know, bowl the bowl games this season, that you could enter a bowl game with a losing record, I feel like a lot of FSU fans wouldn't want that to happen. I feel like they wouldn't want to see FSU football in a bowl game this season. But I think that added game two would be something that'd be great for this football team, just to get those extra reps after losing so much time.
0: That's a great point. And you, you, I I, I did neglect to consider that. And also I'm just thinking back to the kind of personnel that seemed to be really driving parts of the team, the offense in particular. um, I don't think, you know, it was some of the same guys that, you know, you might've expected at the beginning of the year. I mean, it seemed to me that, you know, barring a, a catastrophe, James Blackman was locked in, Um, at quarterback, you know, obviously he had a lot of competition behind him, and then played poorly. But I I mean, I think just kind of the shift in, you know, who is doing what and who's getting the majority of the snaps has has changed a lot. So I, I I suppose with that, you know, chemistry is going to take a while to build Um, coach Norvell as well. Strikes me as somebody who I want to say he's got a fairly ironclad plan about what he envisions you know or what he sees coming from a team that he coaches um at least if his past tenure at uh memphis is any indication and i think what he might be bringing to the table would probably be a big departure from what willie taggart had and also a big departure from what jimbo fisher was trying to do and so i i really do feel for the guys especially like james blackman uh marvin wilson guys that were there at the tail end of the Jimbo tenure. And I'm sure then also we're recruited with vastly different expectations of what Florida state football would be than what they actually experienced. Um, But I I do kind of feel for those guys that have just had to deal with tremendous turnover um, on the coaching front. And then also, I mean, nowhere near the level of play that probably anyone would have predicted in the last uh, four seasons from Florida state. But um, I do want to get your opinion on, you know, does this do these departures reflect negatively on uh, Norvell's? I know he's a first year coach. I do want to give him, you know, at least make note of that. But do you think that reflects negatively on his coaching style or what he might be trying to do at all?
1: I don't think it necessarily does. Um, You know, we're now in an era of college football where you see players, you know, highly touted draft prospects, you know, sitting out bowl games. And I feel like this is a little bit like that. You know, the team is two and five. As you said, some people would argue that this is and, and that the games left really don't matter, especially when your team isn't doing well. Why don't you sit out and, you know, prepare for the NFL draft? You do that. And I think the team grows faster. Without you, I don't think it reflects negatively on Norbell necessarily. I think that he definitely wants to get the, the old out and the new in. Um, I don't know if he sent a clear message to those players and said that I know in Marvin Wilson's case, you know, there's an injury there. He just doesn't want to mess with that. He wants Marvin Wilson to be prepared for the NFL draft. The same goes for Love Taylor. He doesn't, he, he's not going to be able to come back this season. I mean, he might come back to Florida State next season. And then, of course, James Blackman, I feel for him, too. I was in the stands for that Pittsburgh game. You know, he came in after Jordan Travis. Uh, he Jordan Travis didn't return in the second half of the Pittsburgh game. James Blackman, his last pass attempt as a Florida State Seminole is an interception, and he gets booed off the field. Um, all indications have shown me that James Blackman seems to be a a, a very nice person, Um, Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't think too many people have anything against him, but it was more so, you know, people were just sick of this. Like it's, it's time to move on. That was kind of the sentiment. But again, I don't think it reflects poorly on Norvell. Something that I do think reflects poorly on Norvell is the fact that he just trots out quarterback after quarterback. And it seems like there's a carousel at the position where no quarterback really gets their time. To kind of mm-hmm. you know take control of the offense, and while I do understand you know Jordan Travis has left at least three games early this season that he didn't return to, and you could also argue that he should have left the UNC game early. That game he didn't leave early, but he was banged up in that one too. Mm-hmm. I think that reflects poorly because you look at Chubba Purdy, for example. You know he's this highly touted, or he's this highly touted prospect who came to Florida State. He's somebody who Norvell got in that one month period after he took over for Willie Taggart, and you just throw him into the fire when you're down by 20 or 30 points, when your offensive lineman is down and you say, hey, just throw the ball 10 times in a row. You know, Don't even hand the ball off. Don't even you know let your team run the offense. I'm just going to throw you into the fire as a freshman and see how you do. And I think that's unfair. I think that's something that reflects poorly on Ravel.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you say throw him into the fire. Uh, Kenny Dillingham, the offensive coordinator, I mean, he wasn't saying much different. He literally said, you know, after the um, Louisville game, or after the Pitt game, excuse me, he literally said, we're throwing him to the Wolves. You know, I mean, that Louisville game, you know, he's just, I mean, he's having receivers drop passes. And then against Pitt, he's having, you know, I mean, he's running for his life every single play. You know, so I I do agree with you there. I mean, I think it's good that he's getting reps, but they're not meaningful ones. They're, I don't really think, ones that help him develop much. I mean, if he's just, you know, flushed out and having to throw the ball. I mean, he was like 12 for 21 for 38 yards. That ought to tell you how little time he has. I mean, just behind an offensive line that was getting swamped at the end of the game. Um, And I I do like the point that you make, especially about – You know, with Norvell and then with somebody like Terry's departure, I guess you could almost frame that as a really kind of an altruistic move, if that makes sense, by Tamari and Terry. Because I think at first blush, especially when you see guys, you know, sitting out of bowl games um, or what was the quarterback's name? Guys like not Justin Fields, the one that transferred from Ohio State um, when he wasn't getting. Tate Martell. Yes, Tate Martell. (laughs) Yeah. And then you have like uh, Justin Fields transferring. You had somebody like Jalen Hurts transferring. You have guys, I think, now in college football King. that are starting new. Yeah. DeArt King, <laughs> speaking of guys that have just, you know, run roughshod over Florida State. Um, I mean, but guys that I think now in college football that are really prioritizing their future in the NFL and, you know, their best possible avenue. You know, they're, they're able to prioritize their future over, you know, say any, you know, obligation to a team that they might have. But for somebody like, you know, Tamari and Terry, I guess I can see it as, you know, if he doesn't see, I mean, you know, looking at Florida State's schedule, I can maybe see one win coming out of those few games. Maybe, maybe two. I mean, uh, certainly not against Clemson, but I mean, if things somehow got rapidly turned around um, maybe two, but, um, I mean, I guess I could see it as, you know, I'm not, I know he had kind of late injury problems. He had to sit out, um, against Notre Dame, I believe. And, um, but I guess he, you kind of frame it as I'm not able to contribute at the level that I know that I can. Um, so I'm going to let, you know, the guys behind me get a little more playing time, get more reps. I know that I'm kind of, set in my position for the draft. And I know at, at the beginning of Norvell's tenure, I think both he and Wilson wanted to declare for the draft in 2020, but like Norvell, whatever he did worked some kind of magic with them, and he brought them back. And I'm guessing that he might have seen the writing on the wall with Marvin Lewis, who now has lost the rest of this season and likely some of his draft stock. Um, and maybe wanted to pull the plug for that reason. So now getting to who's coming up behind Tamari and Terry, he seemed to be the clear security blanket for, you're absolutely correct in saying the carousel of quarterbacks that have been coming to Florida State. Um, Obviously, Blackman liked to throw to him a lot. Um, He was a favorite target last year um, and the year before. Um, And then, you know, he just seemed to kind of, be able to make plays and offset some of the errors that might be made by a a passer like Blackman or somebody like Jordan Travis, whose kind of deficiencies as a passer are very clear at this point. But looking behind him, I mean, it seems like Cam McDonald, the tight end, and Ontario Wilson are really the only clear guys who have a a fleshed-out role in the offense. Um, And I wanted to ask you, I mean, do you think there's much – other direction that the offense might go? Do you think they'll lean harder on the run? Do you think any other guys might see just, you know, increased looks from Travis or Purdy or Tate Rodemacher if he somehow got out there? Um, you know, what do you have any feeling for what might go on? I think that they
1: should definitely rely on the run. That's where they've seen their most success this season. It seems like in most games this season they've rushed for at least four yards per carry. They did that against Pittsburgh And they abandoned the run in the second half of a game in which, you know, they were trailing by, I believe, a touchdown going into the half or maybe 10 points going into the half. But even at that point, I would have been running the ball if I was Florida State because they don't have somebody right now who shows that they are a capable passer, at least not behind a defensive or not behind an offensive line, I'm sorry, um, without Devontae Love-Taylor. Looking at the receiving core, I don't know how many young weapons there are right now. There definitely aren't any that could replace Tamar and Terry's production, but maybe together they kind of can. Uh, Cameron McDonald was mm-hmm. probably the lone bright spot of that Pittsburgh game. You know, he caught seven catches for 61 yards. Um, I would like to see somebody like Jordan Young involved more. You know, we've, we've heard a lot of hype around him for the last two years, and he hasn't really shown too much. Um, Somebody like Keyshawn Helton as well. He's somebody who's been fairly consistent, or I guess by the standards of a Florida statewide receiver, he's been fairly consistent. Um, somebody who's not really talked about that much, freshman Kentron Poitier, is somebody who I would like to see a lot. He definitely has the build of a future NFL receiver. Uh, somebody who graduated from my high school in Miami, Miami Palmetto Senior High School. Shout out to Kentron Poitier. Um, but I think that he's somebody who has the build of an NFL receiver. He caught a few passes at the end of the Miami game. They've tried to get him involved more than they did it against Louisville. Um, but honestly, it just speaks more to what the offense should be doing, in my opinion, and something that I have been seeing more of, especially given the fact that they're two and five now. You got to get the freshman involved. You got to get the freshman involved. Going back to the running game, the fact that you have somebody like Lawrence Toafili at the running back position is something that you're very encouraged about. Well, Webb as Mm -hmm. well, those are two young running backs who may very well be the future of the Florida state offense. Um, Definitely at least for this season. And, you know, it raises questions going back to the quarterback room. Should they go after a grad transfer after this season's over? Um, I don't know if Trevor Purdy, we talked about this a little bit. I don't know if he's gotten that fair shot yet. I think after he does, and if he proves that he's capable of being the starter, maybe you don't go that route. But if he doesn't, there may be some questions in the quarterback room.
0: Oh, certainly. I, I completely agree. And I think that, I feel like Norvell has said this at some point as well, that Florida State will likely be very active in the transfer portal this season. Um, Going back to the offense, um, I know we've seen, I feel like we saw a lot of Preston, uh, Preston Daniel, uh, the tight end do pretty well in the North Carolina game. And I could envision, you know, guys like Cam McDonald caught all seven of his targets, for example. Um, The one commonality to me, and I think this is in part a function of just being behind an offensive line that isn't able to hold too much back, um one clear deficiency in, in Travis's passing game that um I feel like we've observed is he doesn't like to throw the ball really, he doesn't like to throw contested balls very much. And he also doesn't like to throw over the middle. Um, I mean, I feel like especially watching that pit game, he was throwing sideline, sideline, sideline. And then when we do see him make big passes, they're all kind of, you know, right. You know, he gets somebody like Keyshawn help, help him open, you know, deep down in, in single coverage on the sideline. Um, I, I could envision, you know, guys like Cam McDonald, guys like Preston Daniel kind of being, you know, short little safety valve guys, if that makes sense. You know, for just passers like Travis and Purdy, for somebody like Purdy who's young, I think they could kind of give him a little more confidence. And, you know, you're shouting out Kentron Poitier. I'm going to shout out Lawrence Tolofili. Now, my high school in Pinellas County, um, we're not churning out much football talent at all by any means. So I'm just having to expand to uh, the entirety of Pinellas County, Florida here. But, uh, you know, next time we get Brett on the podcast, um, Brett Rutherford, you know, I know he's he'll have a lot to say about the 727. But, um, you know, Lawrence Toafele also seems like he's been one of the better pass catchers uh, for the running backs, Um in this offense, you know, he had four receptions, um, you know, to only one rushing attempt um, in the pit game. And he constantly seems to be up there, you know, with kind of the little short dump off passes. So, I mean, I could kind of see, I don't think that in virtually any situation we'll be seeing much of a pass first offense from Florida state, but I do think guys like that, you know, could kind of reorient, you know, give, passers like uh travis and purdy who probably need a little bit of confidence you know just in their ability to throw the ball and get completions probably purdy more so than travis in that regard but i think they would be good just for a a developing team you know like you said where guys are are wanting to get reps they need to get meaningful reps and you know that kind of uh rapper building right there um i i think could be very beneficial now one thing when i was looking at um nc state one thing that i did find oddly optimistic is that for whatever reason nc state likes to roll out a lot of um nickel formations on defense and they do very well in that i cannot see many situations where one would want to roll out nickel defense against Florida State uh correct me if i'm wrong yeah
1: that's that's definitely not a good idea
0: yeah so um but Again, now looking forward a little bit, um, I do. I'm not sure how healthy Jordan Travis can be. And I I think it's very apparent if he's not healthy enough to, you know, withstand tackles on, you know, design rollouts or, you know, run plays with him in mind, um, the Florida State offense as a whole suffers quite a bit. Um, And if I were NC State, I would want to. Probably lock down, you know, have my corners lock down receivers on the sidelines, force Travis to kind of throw into traffic, which he, he clearly doesn't like to do, and try to stop him on the run as much as I could. um Is it, at least what I'm feeling. I don't think North Carolina's pass rush is as good as Pitts. I mean, frankly, I don't know that there's any other pass rush in the nation this as good as Pitts. I know they're leading the. Um, either the ACC or the entire NCAA and sacks. Um, But Thomas, if you were an NC State coordinator, I mean, is there anything really apparent about this Florida State team on either side of the ball that you would want to try to exploit? I I think the offensive line is a very obvious answer here, Um, but I don't know if you had anything else that you would be um,
1: zero. Well, yeah, it's clearly the offensive line. I think the offensive line is better than what the tape will show against Pittsburgh because of what you said, because Pittsburgh has one of the best defensive lines in the country. Um, But Florida State hasn't shown a capability to be able to throw the ball for a long amount of time in any game this season. Um, And another thing, it seems like the offense for Florida State, they score in the first possession of the game every game, and then they kind of fall apart Mm -hmm. after. Um, But that's that's a whole nother story. Um. honestly certainly I think
0: Pitt figured that out I mean I was leaving that game I was just there in the stands I was with my roommate and I was like can you believe we're up what 14 to? oh three just to wait one just point? wait like, <laughs> yeah you know and then it's like oh no it, it doesn't even feel like it you know it felt like we were down 21 nothing by the time the game started so I, I think that's another, t- another thing that um you know teams would focus on is this is a Last year we saw it with the defense. This year it's the offense that just kind of implodes in the second half. In the second half, so I, you're absolutely right um, in that regard. I'm sorry I cut you off on what else you were.
1: Yeah, if, on if I was NC State's defense, I, I would break out a lot of cover zero. I, I would just say, you know, beat me over the top. I'm not even going to put a safety in the middle and just put two QB spies essentially on Jordan Travis, which is what some defenses have done this season. I believe that's what Louisville did. And it ended up working pretty well. Um, now, the game plan definitely shifts if Purdy starts. But how much of Purdy's game have you seen? What can you game plan for from Purdy? Given that the only times that we've really seen him, he's been either running for his life or his you know wide receivers weren't catching passes. I think he actually looked fairly good against Louisville. Um, Louisville's defense isn't the best in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but Florida State's offense is nowhere Nowhere close to being anywhere near the best in the world. Um, but yeah. I think I think if you're an NC State coordinator, you should feel pretty good about your advantages going into this game.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I think it says a lot that if, you know, I mean, a bunch of schmucks like you and I can dissect this team pretty well, then people who do this for a living would, you know, probably – be able to eat florida state's lunch on a regular basis which which is uh not a good thing at all for um florida state fans um you know so I, I i think north carolina won't be as big of a test defensively um by any means as Pitt, but i i just wonder whether this i i truly i can't see much on this offense that um you know can do a whole lot about it now the one good thing I shouldn't say good thing. Obviously it is losing Marvin Wilson, who I would say has been this year. I mean, he hasn't been as dominant as he was last year, but he's still probably one of the most reliable people on the defensive side of the ball, along with Amari Gaynor and Asante Samuel jr. Um, the good thing is in when Mike Norvell, as you mentioned, he had that one month period where he's just extremely active, seemed to land a lot of guys like Chuba Chub- Purdy you know, really get some recruits that you would hope at least stick around longer than some of the guys that Willie Taggart brought in. I think we're at the point where over half of them are no longer with the program and he was hired just over, just under three years ago, which is unbelievable. So, um, but he did, I'm I'm looking at just some of the attrition here that Florida state has seen. And fortunately he did get a lot of, uh, Defensive lineman and Jarrett Jackson, who was one of the um, transfers Norvell landed. I think he, he came from Louisville. He's coming back this week. I believe he had opted out at the beginning of the year, but then wanted to opt back in and had to go through a waiver period of some kind. So I think that's big depth that Florida State needs on the defensive line at a time where probably the rock of that defensive line is now out for the year. So, um, and he looked pretty solid as a true freshman uh, for Louisville in the past. But I think, I'm going to be honest, I'm going to be kind of zeroed in on the defensive line in this game just to see how they perform without Wilson. But it's been incredibly inconsistent this year. I mean, as they were in the past. But, I mean, in games like the NC State game, they showed that, I mean, if the Florida State defense can get pressure up front, I I mean, when they can, it's been very infrequent, but that's when they're able to make big plays, you know, force mistakes from even, I mean, elite passers like Sam Howell and, you know, make things happen, you know, without just relying on Asante Samuel to just, you know, vacuum up passes all over the field. Um, So I'll I'll be kind of looking at them. Um, Probably the run game would be one of the other areas I'm going to be locked in on just because, I want to see how their usage shifts with Tamari and Terry out. Um, I've been wanting to see them get more involved and I I hope I will um, get that wish soon here, but I mean, for you, Thomas, is there going to be much that you're going to be locked in on? Well, yeah, I'm
1: definitely going to be on the defensive line. I'm definitely going to be looking at Robert Cooper and Corey Durden to see how they do without Marvin Wilson playing alongside them. Um, They're definitely going to get more snaps because of that too. I'm also looking um, at Jerry and Jones. You know, you mentioned Asante Samuel. Asante Samuel seems to lock down half of the field, or he has done so for most of the season for Florida State. I think you could argue for sure that he's been their most consistent player on both sides of the ball this season, and he's definitely somebody who is an NFL draft prospect. So, I'd like to see what Jerry and Jones can do. I'd like to see what Akeem Dent could do. Uh, NC State's a team that just put up 41 points on Miami. Miami ended up winning that game 44 to 41 last week. Um, So I'm really interested to see how they fare against, I believe Bailey Hoffman is going to be starting for NC State, uh, the former Florida State quarterback. Um, So it's going to be interesting to see how they do against him. Um, Yeah, it seems like with this team, on both sides of the ball, because we talked about it, um, we talked about the offense falling apart. It seems like both sides of the ball have fallen apart after the first quarter this season. I remember growing up, um, I would always hear about how Florida State was a second half team when when Jamis Winston was, you know, running the show, and now it seems like they're a first half team. And you know, first half teams they don't win too many yeah. football games, and that's evident by their record. Um, So I honestly, in general, the biggest thing that I'd like to see, and it's very broad, but on both sides of the ball, is consistency. You know, you didn't even see it in their best moment of the season against North Carolina because they nearly blew a 20-plus point lead against Jacksonville State. They had to come back in that game too. So I would just like to see consistency on both sides of the ball. And I don't know if this group is doing that.
0: Yeah, I, I think that would probably be at the top of the intangibles that Mike Norvell would like to develop um, it, it is exactly what you're talking about, consistency. And I think that'll take a while just with kind of the youth movement that Florida State's got going on, kind of the different you know pieces that are coming in and out. Uh, to that end, I don't think that he's promoting consistency, and I, I think you would probably agree with me, with what he's yeah. doing, a quarterback, um, you know, by having, I mean, I, I think Travis has obviously, you know, been the clear starter, but bringing in Blackman in that pit game was one of the bigger head scratchers of this season for me. You know, I, I don't understand that he came in for a single series through a pick and that was it. I mean, if you can imagine, I don't know that I can imagine much of a bigger wet blanket to be thrown on your Florida state career than that. So, um, but again, he's a first year coach. I'm sure the leap from Memphis to Florida state where, you know, fans are to some degree selfish. I mean, you want to see things happen quick, you know, it's, you know, I don't think that, um, you know, whether for good or for bad fans of Florida state are particularly patient. I mean, especially with the long run of success that there was under Bobby Bowden and Jimbo Fisher, um, you know, so, I do agree with you there. Um, I hope Mike Norvell may um, do a little better in bringing that about. And I do just want to make note, this has got to be, you know, Hockman would be, unless I'm forgetting something here, the third former Florida State uh, commit to play against us this year. I mean, you had Jeff Sims in that Georgia Tech game, which he had to feel great about. Um, Sam Howell in that North Carolina game. And then now Hockman. So I, I just find it interesting, you know, where, what a tangled web the recruits of the past few seasons have ended up forming here. So, you know, I'm, I'm sure for Hockman, that'll be, he's going to be very excited to be in Doak. Um, I know it seemed like he got passed over in the pecking order after uh, DeAndre Francois got hurt in that um, Alabama game way back when. So, um, I mean, do you think that'll be a bigger element for him is maybe the revenge factor? I think it will for sure be
1: a factor. I'm just thinking I'm, – I'm looking at it from a perspective of if I was in that situation. I feel like I would definitely feel like a heightened pressure to do well against the team that I used to be tied to. I know that Bailey Hoffman, um and the Wolfpack, they came to Tallahassee last season, and they lost that game. I believe it was 31-13, to or it wasn't very close. Um, they lost to Alex Hornibrook in that game. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> bringing out the throwback. Exactly. That's year ago. Um, so, yeah, I think that he's definitely going to be out for vengeance. And just talking about recruiting, um, Florida State, they need to put some results on the field, whether it's against NC State, whether it's keeping it close somewhat against Clemson, or as you said earlier on in the show, getting those one or two wins the rest of the way through. Um, that's part of the reason why I said earlier that this isn't a lost season. You know, you got to win for recruiting, you know, recruiting never stops in college football. Um, so they definitely, they definitely have to take that into account or at least the coaching staff, the players, you know, they don't, they don't go into the game and say, Oh, we got to win for the recruits. Um, but the coaching staff, yes. they, they understand what's at stake here. Um And you mentioned somebody earlier, Justin Fields. Um, You mentioned him earlier in the podcast. And I'm thinking in the scope of this year's team, if you had put Justin Fields or maybe somebody like De'Ara King, because De'Ara King was linked to Florida State for a minute last offseason. I'm wondering how good the team would be this year, because I think they would still be hovering around 500, even if they had an elite NFL draft prospect at quarterback.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, I think, you know, at best, you know, the likely prognosis, if we had somebody like D'Eric King, would be maybe like the game plan that you almost see out of Louisville sometimes is just hope that your quarterback goes off, you know, because you know the defense won't be cutting it during the game. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think even if they had an elite Quarterback coming through the transfer. um, It it wouldn't be enough to salvage. I I think the issues are on both sides of the ball. And there are, you know, more than just little tiny things to nitpick at. um, In both cases, absolutely. So, um, and then going, talking about recruiting here. I mean, I have a hard time looking at this season and thinking of, Now, I'm not an expert on the recruiting process. It clearly seems like Mike Norvell brings something to the table. If he can get, you know, somebody like Chubba Purdy to flip, if he can get Marvin Wilson and Tamari and Terry to stick around for another year, it clearly seems like he knows how to win guys over. Um, But I have a hard time looking at this offseason and wondering how, you know, Florida state doesn't get further behind the eight ball recruiting wise, especially with Florida looking as good as they are Miami now looking like a major contender. Um, And I guess now they're fortunate to not have a, you know, UCF that for a while was then poaching recruits from Florida and Florida state, especially in 2017, when both of those teams were pretty mediocre. So um, I mean, like you said, those one or two wins have unbelievable significance for this team on the recruiting They
1: team. absolutely do. They absolutely do. And I'm looking at, you know, the recruiting class coming in right now. According to 247.com, they have the number 21 ranked class in the country. Um, Miami and UF, they're both near the top 10. If you're Florida State, and I, I don't want to do this whole if you're Florida State thing right now because they're not Florida State right now or they're not they're not your father's yeah. They're not what they're not your father's Florida state right now. Um, But yeah, that's not going to cut it at Florida state having the number 21 ranked recruiting class in the country, but who blames recruits for not wanting to go to Florida state? I mean, if you're a recruit in high school right now, you don't just go, Oh yeah, I definitely want to go to Florida state. I definitely want to go to Tallahassee. I see what's going on right there right now. And I say, I want to be there because they haven't really proved anything to you. And that coupled with the fact that a lot of recruits haven't even been able to um, visit schools this season due to coronavirus. They haven't been able to get that one-on-one contact with coaches. I understand that you know they're talking to coaches on the phone. and And I know in the world of college football recruiting, that's like an everyday thing. But when you don't get to go see the program in yeah. person and when you don't get to have that one-on-one time, I think that doesn't benefit them as well. That's also another hindrance to them because i remember when florida state had jimbo fisher um they, they had a top five class it seemed like every single year but
0: yeah i remember when willie came in the number we 11 class in the, the country going Yeah, they or something like
1: <laughs> exactly yeah. and i come from the unique position of growing up as a miami hurricanes fan and i remember coming to florida state and thinking are you guys kidding me the number 11 recruiting class so this this goes back to a larger thing. Yes. You know, this is not the Florida State of even five years ago. And it's crazy how the program has fallen to this point. And, you know, that's, that's a story for a different show because I could talk about that for an hour or two. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> there has to be a lot of patience if you're a Florida State Seminoles fan right now. Because, honestly, winning in college football is a lot harder than this program has. Then this program has shown it to be over the last 40 years. Um, I think that Mike Norvell coming in, him coming in with a proven track record of getting a program like Memphis to the Cotton Bowl last season, I think that, you know, you got to stay the course, you got to be patient, and you got to realize that a lot of things have gone wrong here over the last four years. But ultimately, you know, the road to the top It's going to come from that recruiting class. It's going to actually come from getting transfers, too, who are going to contribute in the short term and help provide results that will get further recruits in the future. So, you know, you may make – or somebody may make the argument that this is a lost season, but there's still a lot to play for. And honestly, I'm just happy that we've had college football this season. You know, a lot of Florida State fans may not agree with me. They may say, man, I wish we didn't play this season. I wish that we could reschedule the Clemson game, you know, where Florida State's already not playing UF. Um, But I I still think that Mm -hmm. for the sake of the program, the fact that they've actually been able to play this season is better than if they hadn't been able to play.
0: 100%. I mean, I I think it's a major coup, just just having something, you know. I mean, even if it has been far from a success uh, for Florida State, Um, I mean, I, am 100% inclined to agree with you there. Um, And then I think just for recruiting, you know, the the last big point I want to make, I know we talked quite a bit about football here um, is even with the North Carolina game, even with on paper, knocking off a top five team when you're unranked um, I haven't seen any you know, I, I think back to even years like 2018, you know, where 2018 was probably one of the most catastrophic football seasons for Florida State. If you're a Florida State football fan in like 40 years, you know, you have the the Bull streak and, you know, Willie Taggart's, you know, tenure, which was unbelievably hyped. You know, it was kind of a dud in the first season. You know, we had that Virginia Tech game that was that was just miserable. That was one of the worst. It was great until the game started I've ever had. Um, incredible yeah standing out in that range (laughs) watching like the 21 nothing it just gives me nightmares but you know there was that game the late game of the year against boston college you remember where tamari and terry had that long touchdown they came back they beat boston college who i think was ranked you know but like a big moment like that i'm not seeing any anything really of that caliber this year so i'd almost hope that you know even if Florida State, no one's saying they need to go out and beat Clemson. I mean, I wouldn't be complaining if they did, obviously. But, um, I mean, I think just kind of having a a statement Anything can happen in 2020. Anything can happen. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm hoping that I could at least see something like that out of this team, you know, before the year is out. Um, Now, I don't know. I think we certainly had quite the discussion here on football Um, if I had to pick a score here for NC state, let me see if I I can pull up the spread here. I don't know it off the top of my head, um, but I mean, on the football front, is there any other big points that you wanted to bring up here, Thomas, or
1: um, I think I'm fine. I think that again, I'm preaching patience to Florida state Seminoles fan. Fans, um, you know, there's been some moments that you could look at Mike Norvell and say, "I, I don't know if he's the right coach," but you got to give him time. And I, I don't think that Florida State can afford to not give time to a head coach after what happened with Willie Taggart, because soon enough, coaches are just not going to want to come to Florida State if something like that happens again. Going back to this week's NC State game, yeah. you see, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be one of those people. Um, who just comes out in front and predicts the Florida State upset before they, you know, end up losing by 30 plus points, because I've seen a lot of that over the last three years. I'm going to say Florida State puts up 24 points against NC State, but I'm going to say that they give up 49. I say 49 to 24 NC State. I know that might seem like a harsh prediction, but... I'm feeling good about it. I'm feeling good about it because, you know, I, I don't want it to be closer and then look back at it and be like,
0: what was I thinking? You're pretty, I, I, I'm inclined to agree with you there. And I, I think you make a great point. I think the 2020 season is in a lot of ways, just a, a, a cruel teacher, if you will, uh, for Florida State. I mean, just having to kind of learn that lesson of patience, when Florida State fans really have not had to be patient, I, I mean unless you were watching this team and maybe the early years or, or maybe the late later years of Bobby Bowden's tenure but the early, I mean maybe the early years of you know when he was hired are the, the only but even those teams even those I teams even of, those Bobby Bowden um,
1: teams th- those teams would probably still beat this year's Florida State team by a significant amount.
0: Certainly yeah no I, I 100% agree. I mean, I think the the core patience idea is there, but they would probably, you know, this year's team would probably get smoked. Um, So um, the spread, uh, North Carolina State's expected to win by nine and a half, overs, over-unders, 59 and a half. Um, Now, Florida State has had, and maybe this is just a reflection of my knowledge as a podcast host and/or sports writer, but. Florida State has tended to do the exact opposite of whatever prediction that I have made, um, especially in the last few weeks. So with that in mind, I am going to say that NC State will probably beat FSU. I am going to say 42 to 24. Pretty similar predictions. um, I have a harder time. Yeah, similar predictions. You know, just for me, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that I will be proven wrong. Um, And that Florida state can somehow really keep up with NC state in this one. Um, Although, especially with just a week like this, where they basically had a nuclear bomb get dropped on them with the four players that left. Um, I mean, and that's three. The only one that I think that did not really have a clear path forward with FSU was Blackman, especially after that game and especially after getting booed at home. Um, But I mean, that's, three starters that you lose in one day. Now, two of them were probably known about beforehand, but um, I mean, that's still black Wednesday, nonetheless. So um, I'm hoping that this team can figure it out, but just with the news that they saw, um, I'm not, I'm not particularly optimistic about it. Now I do want to move the conversation to the one team at Florida state that has been consistently, Stellar this season, and and that is soccer. Um, they had their first ACC tournament matchup against Notre Dame, I yes. believe, on Tuesday. Is that correct? Yeah, and they beat Notre Dame two nothing. Uh, it wasn't the same four nothing shellacking that we saw at the beginning of the season, but still, I mean, a win is a win. Um, and for Florida State, it seemed to be about as textbook of a win as they've had all season, which is they've just outshot their opponents by a huge margin. Um, I mean, I believe it was 17 shots by Florida state to four by um, um, uh, the Irish. Yeah. And um, so outshooting them by a large margin, you know, having a, a pretty just lights out defense up front, you know, so where, you know, your goal, goaltender Christina Roke isn't getting challenged she didn't have she had zero saves in that game so that ought to tell you just I mean the level of play that the the defense is putting in there I mean to where she's been putting up shutout after shutout with you know one save two saves three saves you know it's not like you know what Florida State's doing to other teams for example so um now they do have a matchup looming here with duke on friday and if you remember back to earlier in the season that was the game where florida state was knotted up with duke at zero until there were 14 seconds left in regulation um i believe it was jalen howell that found the corner of the net in that one so uh, clearly duke is one of the few teams that has shown that they can hang with florida state um at least long term in a game like this um, and Thomas, I just want to get your thoughts here. Florida State—it doesn't seem like a whole lot has gone wrong with them here this season. But if something were to go wrong in this Duke game, I well, mean, it'd probably be on Duke's where
1: counterattack. Um, Florida State tends to play, you know, a possession-based game. They tend to hold the ball for the majority of the game, and they tend to press the ball very hard. Um, and that's that's what teams that keep the possession do. Um, you know, looking back at their previous matchup this season, Florida state, they had 19 shots and Duke had four. Um, and, you know, this is something that you see a lot in soccer when you see teams that are, you know, that are not evenly matched. You see a team park the bus and they end up, you know, potentially just trying to get a result out of a game. Uh-huh. And Duke almost did that, you know, as you said, winning that game with under a minute left um, Florida state did. So, going back to tomorrow's game um friday's game the acc tournament semifinal against duke i think that florida state i wouldn't be surprised if they win a game more handily than they did the first time around um i don't think i've seen a game this season for the seminoles in which they've been even close to being outshot as you said christina roke um she's you know She's kept her jersey pretty clean this season. She's not making too many saves. Um, the Seminoles, I believe they gave up three goals in one game. Other than that, they haven't given up more than one goal in a game this season. Um, so, yeah, honestly, I would not be surprised if they win this game against Duke tomorrow. In fact, I'd be shocked if they didn't win the game um, and if they didn't set up A matchup against North Carolina. You know, these are the two biggest teams in the conference when you look at women's soccer. Um, They've been two of the most consistent teams in the country over the last 10 years. Um, And honestly, you know, not only is it an ACC tournament final if Florida State makes it against North Carolina, um, it'd be for an automatic bid in the NCAA tournament, which would be played or which will be played in the spring. So you add that on top of it, and um, Florida State definitely has a lot to play for.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I, I share your point of view. I mean, just on this game, you're right. I don't think Duke can just – I mean, that's i mean, not a successful strategy if they want to advance the playoffs, for sure. They can't just, you know, park the bus and say, all right, you know, just – try and beat us. You know, we're not going to push you much on offense, you know, barring a, a complete defensive calamity. But, um, you know, I don't, I, I, you're right. I don't see them doing that in this game. And I can see Florida state just overwhelming them um, with depth. Now. I also think for Florida, not with depth, excuse me, just with shots, um, you know, with the offensive attack. Um, now, also looking at Duke here, I know it's in the past. Last year, there was Mary Kate McGuire and Mackenzie Pluck that were kind of the main focus of the offensive attack. And this year, I mean, they haven't been as potent. Now for Florida State, I think they were definitely clear, you know, if I had to put my money on somebody to score, I would probably look at Le'Vani Nesmith. I would probably look at, you know, Yuji Zhao. I would probably look at Jalen Howell. But just the depth on this team, um, I mean, it's it seems like you know, just about anybody can meet the moment and score. It's not you know, oh, this is the Yuji Zhao show or anything like that. So I think that's another factor. That Absolutely, plays into they Ford have State's a favorite. lot
1: of depth. They have a lot of depth, and you mentioned somebody like Jody Brown. Um, you know, she she she's a sophomore. Um, she actually no, she's a freshman. I'm going to repeat that. Yeah. When you look at somebody like Jody Brown, she's a freshman. She's one of the few freshmen on this team that's mainly juniors and soft. Or- oh my God. I'm going to do this one more time. <laughs> when you look at somebody like Jody Brown, she's a freshman. She's a freshman on a team that's mainly made up of juniors and seniors. And it's part of Mark Krikorian's whole program. You know, we were talking about football and how recruits don't want to join the football program because they need to see results. Well, the results have been there for the soccer program. They've won two national championships in the last seven years. Um, They're churning out players who are playing for national teams. You look at Dana Castellanos, who now plays for Atletico Madrid and who stars for the Venezuelan national team. Um, And now on the United States national team, you see somebody like Jalen Howe, who's playing for the U.S. team. And there's been multiple players on this team that played for Canada, the United States, Jamaica, just to name a few countries. Um, So, yeah, this team definitely has a lot of depth. Um, They definitely can beat you with a lot of players, as you mentioned. Um, And I would not be surprised if they end up winning the ACC tournament because I think they may be the most complete team, maybe not in the country, but maybe out of the teams that are playing so far in the fall.
0: I completely agree, especially in the ACC. Now, I'm not as well-versed in what, you know, is going on with North Carolina. I mean, they clearly seem to be an incredibly skilled team as well. But just looking at um, Florida State's attack, you know, the, the level of depth that they have and just the, I mean, unbelievable, you know, skill that they've been playing with on both sides of the ball. Um, I have a hard time seeing many teams in the country beating them. So, um, I mean, I, I think the Duke game, that'll be a great game to watch. Um, just as Florida state football's game against, um, Pitt will be, or not against Pitt, excuse me, against North Carolina state on Saturday night. Um, and then I'm glad that we have a Clemson game that ESPN just said, all right, you know, we'll just make that one a noon one yeah. and, uh, get that thing over with next weekend. <laughs> so, um, So I don't know about you. I mean, that about wraps it up on my end, Thomas. Um, Any other big stuff that you want to make sure to drop? No, I I made made that prediction for the
1: football game that Florida State would lose 49 to 24. Hopefully they uh, prove me and you wrong um, because I I would definitely like to edit articles after a victory rather than after a loss. Um, And then, yeah, I'm leaving Tallahassee after that Clemson game next Saturday. Um, (laughs) Probably not the best idea. Um, but yeah I, I think I've said everything that I could about this year's Florida State football program on this episode for sure well I'm glad
0: you left it all out on the field uh, I hope the Seminoles will do the same here against the Wolfpack and against the uh, Blue Devils here on Friday night Um, if I just had to make a prediction here I mean a little bit unscientific I'm going to go with a 2 nothing finish here uh, Florida State over Duke I agree I would um, I, I would definitely you, say 2-0 what say you there?
1: You know I said Duke would I said Florida State you know they won the first game with 1-0 yeah. and that they would kind of do better this time around I think 2-0 yeah
0: I completely agree and I think just having that game against Duke in the regular season uh is obviously extremely helpful just to kind of have, you know, a little bit of film to go over, a little bit more to analyze um, and, you know, not have the players chime in and say, okay, you know, we can exploit this, that, or, or whatever against, um, against Duke. So um, on that note, I think that'll probably wrap up this episode of talk and chop. Um, you can find my work and Thomas's um, you'll see Thomas's hands on my work um, as he's the sports section editor this year. Um, and then you can find my work either online or in the FSU and Florida Flambeau uh, in print on campus. Uh, again, this has been Thanks another for episode me. of Talk and Chop. Thomas, thank you so much for coming on.